Psalms chapter 69 and verse 1. Of course, we know this is the coming from the heart of David the psalmist. Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I'm weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. And then skipping down to verse 16 and 17. Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. And hide not thy face from thy servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. I would like to speak this morning on this subject, defeating the doldrums, defeating the doldrums. You may be seated and thank you for standing in honor of the reading of the word of God. For centuries, sailors dreaded the aptly named doldrums. This band of windless, hot and humid weather near the equator, about five degrees north of the equator and about five degrees south of the equator, all the way around the globe, is this particular area that's called the doldrums. It could stall sailing ships for weeks if they got stuck in the doldrums. Uh, driving the crew to distraction, because of course in the ancient times they did not rely upon engines, they relied upon the wind to move their ships by filling their sails. But when they got stuck in the doldrums, uh, the crew could become very distracted with the monotony and sometimes even leading to the onset of scurvy as fresh supplies would run out as they would sometimes be stuck for weeks in the doldrums, unable to move. I can remember as a young boy reading adventure stories of men of old sailing the, the seas and their great sailing ships of that day. And, and there was this great calm where the sea was smooth and the sun was extra hot and the ship was in the water helpless, uh, sometimes for days and even weeks. The man up in the crow's nest diligently would search for a ripple in the water that would indicate the start of a breeze. And when it came, when it finally came, there would be a shout of joy. And it wasn't very long before they were on their way and they were moving. There is this period of time when no wind that is blowing can become very uh, difficult, especially if you rely upon the wind. I remember a number of years ago being in the Amazon with missionary Benny DeMerchant, and he had uh, two float planes that he used to go up and down the river and start churches in those little indigenous villages of people, many of them that were totally cut off from what we think of today as modern society, but yet they were souls and God loved them and they were hungry for God. And, and to this day, there's over a thousand stick churches up and down the Amazon. In fact, when we were just a few weeks ago in that, uh, that great stadium where they gathered to play soccer, uh, they, they, it was full of 30,000 people. Many of them had come down the river in, in uh, canoes that were just hollowed out logs and, and had come to Manaus, the capital of that Amazon basin for the purpose of gathering and worshiping the Lord. But I can remember uh, as we would uh, go and, and fly up and down the river and go to these uh, different villages, he would pass out uh, tracks. We had little plastic bags with Acts 238 message in them. And he also uh, learned how to make fishing uh, ties using uh, hairs off of roosters and dogs and yard animals and whatnot. And he could make a, 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 a fly that you could then catch those peacock bass on out of the Amazon. And so uh, he would put that in this little plastic bag and, and we would stuff hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands. And so we'd fly over these little villages and we'd drop them out the window and then we'd come back a couple weeks later and then, you know, he would start to show them how to fish and use the fly and many of them had already figured it out. And, and then he'd start talking about, you know, he had that in their language, what that track was. And he'd start telling them about Jesus and 
we'd gather up under a tree and then he'd start bringing supplies down the river. Anyways, to make a long story short, before long, a, 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 a little church would be there and then another one and then another one and then down the way and another, it was it, thousand of them up and down that river. And so this was quite a mission. And of course, he spent over 50 years of his life doing this and built a great church in that area. But I, I remember this one particular time where he and Pastor Larry Sims and pastors in Tallahassee and I, we were there with Brother DeMerchant and we were had a little small body of water that uh, we were going to have to use to, to get up the, the plane. We had it laden down. We were going out and uh, it was a little float plane, but there was no wind, none. And so he said, I'm going to have to kind of go on an angle here across this little body of water and see if we can take off. And we'd, and we'd start down there and we'd start down there. And I'm seeing these trees in front of us, you know, and, and uh, I'm like, I don't, I don't think it's working, brother DeMerchant. I don't think it's working, you know, and, and we'd get really close. And then he'd shut the engine down. He's like, there's just not enough wind. So then he'd circle around and he'd get over and try to go catty corner from this other side of the lake. Here we go now this way. And those floats, you know, are, are going in. And he says, you know, you got to get the plane, the hydroplane first, and then you get lift. And so it's a boat and then it becomes a plane. And, and we didn't have any wind. There was no wind. No wind blowing in any direction. Same thing happened and we shut it down and then we tried to go crossways. And after the third time, Brother Sim said, look, if y'all would just drop me off over there on the side, I don't have to go. And uh, Brother uh, DeMerchant's like, no, we're not dropping you off, Brother Larry. You're going with us. And he said, I really don't feel like I have to go. I feel like I could stay here. And finally, he said, I think we got too much water in the pontoons, you know. So he got, we got this little pump out and he put me on the left pontoon. He got on the right pontoon. We pumped water out of the pontoons you know, to make it a little lighter. And finally, we thought we had enough done. And here we go again. We're going to make another run at it. We go, there's still no wind. This time we start, this time we got the pontoons up on the water, but we didn't have enough wind to get lift. And so we got really close this time. And finally he shut it down and said, no, it's not that. We got to just wait for the wind to blow. And at this point I said, you know, I really don't have to go. I'm good. Finally, we got a little breeze. And when we got a little breeze, we pumped more water out of those pontoons, made it as light as we could. We held our breath. And with just a little breeze blowing, we finally were able to just come up out of that little mud puddle that we was taken off from and clear those trees. And I mean, you could almost feel the branches hitting the bottom of those pontoons. And I said, Lord, send the wind. Send the wind. We need the wind. I've never been in the doldrums proper, but I do know that that area that we're in is not far from the equator as we felt even recently. It's so intensely hot in that area. But the doldrums are used as a term now to describe a period of being sad or bored or having no energy or enthusiasm. We're in the doldrums. We've got the mully grubs, uh, a season of stillness. Many people today know this season. You're familiar with what it is to be in the doldrums, a period of inactivity, listlessness, sometimes even depression. It's motionless. You see no wind from heaven. There's no breeze of the spirit to keep you refreshed and moving in God. But it affects more than just our mood. It affects our spiritual survival. We become susceptible to spiritual diseases that challenge our faith and our fortitude as we wait for the breeze to blow. It doesn't always have to be spiritual. Sometimes you just get stuck in the doldrums of work or you get stuck in the doldrums of routine or you get stuck in the doldrums of school and, and it just seems like one day bleeds into the another and the other and the other and it just seems like nothing ever changes and, and after a while you just feel like you're in a rut and there's no activity. There's no wind. There's no movement. Song of Solomon chapter 4 and verse 16, the wise man said, Awake, O north wind, and come, thou south, blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. 
You see, my friend, the north wind is a convicting wind. It is a headwind. And the south wind is a warming wind. It's the wind at our back. And we need both if we're going to release the fragrance of the grace of God that is in our lives. We need the north wind to awaken us. That wind is usually cold and biting. Its purpose is not to quench life, but to awaken us and to strengthen us and to strengthen the root system. After this wind, the warmer south wind comes along and this wind prepares the land for growth. We need both the north wind and the south wind. The New Testament church knew this. That's why when they faced persecution, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name's sake. If you are facing headwinds today, if you are facing adversity today, you need to thank the Lord that at least it's when it's not the doldrums. I'm getting a little pushback, but I know that my God is still alive. He's still on the throne, and I'm going to just use that north wind. I'm going to use that adversity to give me lift. Lift me up above the shadows. Thank the Lord for that wind. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, he gives us the principle of how these winds work in concert, north and south. He said, I know how to be abased. That's a north wind. It'll knock you down. And I know how to abound. That's a south wind. Because it lifts. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full. That's a south wind. And to be hungry. That's a north wind. Both to abound. That's a south wind. And to be in need. That's a north wind. You see, God is in the business, hallelujah, of giving us the north wind and the south wind. And the Lord is not unkind to us in these seasons of the north wind. Adversity often shows us our worth. And then the south wind will release that which the north wind has awakened. Sometimes we got to just be woke up. Sometimes we got to just be stirred in our spirit. Sometimes we got to say, this is the day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. I was talking to a friend of mine this past week and he was telling me about how that he had uh, adversity come against him in the midst of his own family whenever they uh, had recent funeral services and they were burying a loved one. And he said, uh, it was amazing how the family, uh, his natural family, his own flesh and blood uh, came against him. He has a, a very powerful ministry. And, and so uh, for this particular funeral, uh, many, many uh, friends came and, and fellow ministers and Pentecostals. And uh, they were expecting about 20 or 30 people at this funeral. But there was about three or 400 people that came because we're part of a family, aren't we? I thank the Lord for the family of believers that make up this apostolic faith. And, uh, and he said that some of the family got upset with him afterwards and said, thanks for turning this uh, funeral, it's supposed to be a family funeral, turning it into a church service. And thanks a lot. And they, and they got on him for all of that. And I said, you know why they got on you? Because they're under conviction. That's just a north wind. Let it blow. I said, let it blow. They'll tell you, they'll tell you even in, in uh, marriage counseling, Dr. Myers, we hand her the microphone this morning. She'd tell you this. She would affirm it. But they tell you the worst thing is not anger in a marriage. The worst thing is no feelings at all. I'm not upset. I'm not mad. I'm not happy at all. I'm nothing. That's the doldrums. There's no wind blowing. At least if your spouse is upset with you, there's some emotion there. The next time your spouse gets upset with you, say thank you. I thank you. I know you're still alive. <laughs> Sometimes when people come against you on your job and they say, oh, you this, that, you ought to not say, well, I hate being a Christian because I, no, I thank the Lord for the north wind. Let it blow. Let it blow. 
Because guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to be like an eagle and I'm going to use those updrafts and I'm going to soar. It's going to lift me up above all my problems. It's going to lift me up above all the stress and the strife of life. I got a God that loves me. He loves me enough to give me a headwind. Oh, David, he had faced some headwinds. He knew what it was to have the north wind blow. He knew adversity. And he also knew the blessing of the south wind. But in this text, he was facing the doldrums. He just was in a holding pattern. He wasn't moving forward or backward. He wasn't moving at all. He's in the doldrums. He's stuck. He's in a spiritual traffic jam. How many of you ever gone 10 miles out of the way just so your car can keep moving? I guess I'm the only one that... <laughs> There's nothing worse than a traffic jam. I was talking to a friend of mine recently at pastors in this state. And we were talking about how he loves to drive. Everywhere we go, he drives. In general conference, in the fly, he drives. He said, I like to drive. It's relaxing. I said, so... You don't drive aggressive. Oh, no. He said, I drive aggressive. I said, you drive aggressive? Yeah. He said, one of the things that frustrates me the most, people get in the left lane and go slow. I said, now, you said this is relaxing. You just drove for two days. And this is relaxing? And you're fighting the whole time? He said, well, I fight for a while, but then I don't. It'll smooth out. You know, we get in areas that are more rural and all that. I said, I'm, there's nothing relaxing about driving to me. The whole time I'm driving, I'm like, get out of my way, get out of my way, get out of my way, get out of my way. <laughs> I even got a Tesla plaid that will go zero to 60 in 1.9 seconds. I told my wife, what's a 60 year old man doing with a thousand horsepower? I don't care if it goes zero to 60 in 0.9 seconds. If you've got a thousand cars in front of you, it doesn't matter what it can do. You may be the most talented person in this building, but if you are stuck in the doldrums, you're not moving. And so sometimes we feel stuck. We're just in this holding pattern. We're just waiting. Waiting on God to bring the victory. What's David going to do? He's waiting on Saul to die. What do you do when you're in the waiting room? What do you do when you're in those traffic jams of life? Well, what did David do? And this is some things I want to give you from Psalm 69. Because these are things you can do in the doldrums. Some of you can say, well, I'm waiting on the Spirit of God to move. Well, there's not always going to be that wind blowing in front of you or at your back. But these are things you can do when the wind's not blowing. I want you to understand this because this is an important principle to get a hold of. When you're in the doldrums, it doesn't mean that you cannot make progress because living for God requires not only to win, but it requires discipline. When you're in the doldrums, you say, well, I'll just never go in the doldrums. Yes, you will, because you are an emotional human being. Just like I am. We're all built the same way. We're all human beings breathing air. We all are emotional. We have good days and bad days and good days and bad days. And some days we don't know how we're going to get through them. And David was stuck in the midst of this. Now, here's what he started doing. The first thing, Psalms chapter 69, let's look at verse 13. But as for me, now he's in the doldrums. There's no wind blowing. There's no shouting. I thank the Lord for our services, but you know, you got to go to work on Monday. There's not a choir there to sing as you enter into your job. No Bible study. You just got to go to work. You know what I'm saying? But as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O Lord, in an accepted time, O God, in the multitude of thy mercy. Hear me in the truth of thy salvation. You don't need any wind to pray. You can start praying in the stillness of a doldrum. 
Somebody said, well, if God didn't really move, I'd start praying. How about start praying before God moves? You don't have to have the wind blowing. You don't have to be in the middle of a winds conference to start praying. You can say, I'll start praying right now in the midst of my trouble, in the midst of this still season that I'm in. I can still lift my voice and call upon God. In the upper room, they prayed for a solid week with no wind. And they had just had an election. So they were probably all out of sorts. I don't know why we elected Matthias. I never did like that guy. I don't know how we're going to use him. How's he going to be an apostle? And the Lord didn't put them all there together to have an election. They did that on their own. He said to seek for the comforter. So they had to pray. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They had to pray day in and day out. In the doldrums. Stuck. No wind blowing. The Lord had ascended and gone into heaven. They were probably thinking it'd be good for him to stick around a while and show himself so people would know he really did resurrect so they don't think we're all crazy. But no, he disappears to go to heaven. And they're praying. And they're praying and they're praying and they're praying. Because you can pray in the doldrums. You can pray even when you're not in the right frame of mind. You can pray. David said, I'm tired of waiting. You ought to read all of Psalm 69. I've been waiting. I'm still here, God. Sometimes you feel that way. You're just stuck. Keep on praying in the midst of the doldrum. Because... The Bible says in Acts 2, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Woo, hallelujah. You just keep on praying. And suddenly there's going to come a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. You just keep on praying. The wind will blow. The spirit will come. The anointing will fall. But you can pray in a season of stillness. Verse 5, he said, Oh God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. He repented. You don't need wind to repent. Repentance is out of obedience. You can repent with no wind. You say, I don't know if that can happen. How do you think there's so many people repenting in churches all over America that have no wind? Got no Holy Ghost. Got no spirit blowing. They come in, they all sit down, the preacher talks, it's a lecture, and everybody's just real quiet. You'd think you're in some sort of a, 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 a university. Quiet. Our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. You raise your voice and usher coming. Take you by the arm, usher you out. You say, oh, that never. You, you have no, I could tell stories the rest of the day. They're just not sure about that wind blowing. Not sure about that Holy Ghost power. Not sure about that wildfire. But in the midst of the doldrums of no wind blowing, people still got hearts that are hungry for God. People are still sincere in their faith. People still come uh, and they make their way down as they did by the thousands. I, I'm reading right now about the old Billy Graham crusades. Uh, they'd make their fill stadiums across America and even the world. And he'd give the altar call and people would come to, it wasn't no movement of the Holy Ghost. It was the preaching of the word, uh, but people had a, something that was pricked in their heart. Uh, and they came down and they stood by the thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands uh, and said, Lord, forgive me of my sins because you can repent. Without any wind blowing. Oh boy, if we'd really have a Holy Ghost revival, I believe people would repent. I do too. But it doesn't have to have the wind. For you to repent. Because we repent out of obedience. Verse 10, David said, when I wept 
and chastened my soul with fasting. That was to my reproach. He fasted. You can fast in the doldrums. You don't have to have a choir to help you in the morning get ready for your day of fasting. Boy, I tell you, if Sister Lisa would bring them worship singers over here, I think it would help me get through lunch. No, you can fast. <laughs> you can fast. I'm going to fast Monday, Tuesday. Tuesday's our fast day. I'm going to be in prayer meeting Monday night. I'm getting ready for the wind. I know the wind's going to blow. We're getting ready to go into a winds conference. And the wind is blowing. It's blowing right now. It's going to blow even more. But you know what? All of us are going to go home this afternoon. We're going to go back to our houses. Some of you are dealing with things nobody knows about. Some of you are dealing with things on your job. Some of you are dealing with things in school. Some of you are dealing with family members. And I've come to tell you, there's still a God. Hallelujah. That he's more than just a God of the wind. He's a God of the stillness. Hallelujah. Oh, I said he's a God of the stillness. You can sit all by yourself in a room and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I feel like I'm stuck. And you'll feel God come down and put his arms around you. Come on, it's time to defeat the doldrums. You start fasting. You start praying. You begin to say, Lord, I repent of my sins. Those doldrums, they have to disappear. Look what else he did. Verse 30, I will praise the name of God with a song. He started singing. You don't need wind to sing. You can sing. All by yourself. Look at Paul and Silas in jail. Hands and arms all tied. To, I mean, you, they couldn't even hardly lift their hands. In the inner prison, dark, isolated. And they begin to sing. And the Lord sent a great earthquake around the midnight hour. Woo! He said in verse 30, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. You don't have to have the wind to blow to have a spirit of thanksgiving. You can be thankful in the doldrums. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me. Come on, you can get a spirit of thanksgiving. You can begin to prophesy. I may not be moving right now, but I'm going to be soon. So while I'm on pause, the Lord has slowed some things down so I can get the right perspective. So I got some time to say, Lord, I'm going to take this time that you put me on pause and I'm going to just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your blessings in my life. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my marriage. Thank you for the revelation of the name of Jesus. Woo! They're going to put a picture up on the screen. A couple of days ago, I was walking down the street there in Indianapolis with a group of friends. We were going to get lunch. And this fellow walked by and he just stopped. This is Jim. And he said, Brother Myers. And I said, yes. He put his hand out and I shook his hand. He said, you don't remember me. But 30 years ago, I came the First Pentecostal Church on Palm Bay Road. It was a friend's day. And he said, I worked at Highway Oil on Sarno Road. Brother Matt, some of you remember that. I remember it. Highway Oil. Gas station. Used to be one on US 1, too. He said, that's where I worked. But my banker, by the name of Sylvia, she went to your church. And it was Friends Day, and she invited me to go. And he said, I had long hair. But he said, I was hungry. He said, I had been praying and asking God to show me the right way. And he said, I went to y'all's service. And he said, I had never been anything like that before. He said, several times I almost left. But he said, you started preaching, and you said, I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm going to just tell you what the Bible says. And he said, you quoted from the Bible. And then he said, at the end, you said, if you want to come forward and pray, you'd pray 
with us, but he said, if you don't want to come, that you would come to our pew and pray with us. So he said, I started praying, but my prayer was, Lord, don't let him come to my pew. (laughs) But he said, I opened my eyes and you were standing in front of me. And he said, you led me through repentance and you explained to me how that you were going to pray for me and you were going to put your hand on my head. And when I, and when I, you did, I would receive the Holy Ghost and I would begin to speak in tongues as the spirit came on me. And, uh, he said, we began to pray, but before you ever got your hand on my head, he said, I received the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. And he said, right after that, he said, just a couple of weeks later, he said, I got transferred and uh, he said, I got moved all the way to Vermont. And he said, the job and all that moved me to Vermont. And he said, uh, I've been in Vermont for 30 years. And he said, uh, after I got to Vermont, I found a little United Pentecostal church, started going to it. And he said, after six months, my wife agreed to come and pastor started teaching her Bible study and she got the Holy Ghost a few months later. He said, we got two boys, they're grown, they're raised. He said, they're both filled with the Holy Ghost. He said, my whole family is serving God. He said, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a minister, but I'll do anything a pastor asks me to do. And uh, he said... For the past six years, I've been coming to this conference, and they move it around. Last year it was in Florida. I went all the way to Florida. He said, for six years, I've been going to general conference because I've been trying to find you. He said, I know everything about your church. I follow it all online. We followed it all through COVID. He said, I know you've been in three building programs since that, that time you prayed with me 30 years ago. But he said, this year... He said, we drove from Vermont to come to this conference. Before we got to town, my wife and I prayed and said, Lord, if you'll just allow us to run into Brother Myers. And he said, I'm walking down the sidewalk and there you are. And he said, here's why we've been praying. Here's why for six years I've been looking for you. He said, it's all for this one thing. And that is, I just want to say thank you. for leading our family to salvation we stood on the sidewalk in Indianapolis and cried together and we took pictures he said I don't know where I'd be but 30 years later you probably thought I just came and got the Holy Ghost and backslid because you never saw me again but for 30 years in Vermont that's some headwind that's some north wind He and his family have been in a small church serving God for 30 years. You never know when you share the gospel with somebody on your job. You never know when you share your testimony with somebody. You never know that God is planting a seed in their heart. You may never see them again. But oh, there's a spirit of appreciation. Thank you that you told me about the power of the name of Jesus. Thank you that you told me about the outpouring of the spirit of God. Next thing David started doing is praising God because you don't need any wind to worship. It's fun to worship with wind, but you don't have to have the wind to worship. Let the heaven and earth praise him, David said in verse 34. The seas and everything that moveth therein. And then he started speaking the promises of God. Verse 35, for God will save Zion and will build the cities of Judah. Nothing's moved yet. He's still in the waiting room. But he said, I'm going to go ahead and begin to speak the promises of God. For God will save Zion and will build the cities of Judah that they may dwell there and have it in possession. The seed also of his servant shall inherit it. And they that love his name shall dwell therein. 
Oh, my friend, you got to start speaking the promises of God over your prodigals. You got to start saying they will be saved. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> They will be saved. They are coming home. Oh, yeah, you can begin to speak the promises of God. I believe it. God said it. It will happen. Wind is nothing more than air moving. When the air moves, it creates wind. What makes the air move? What makes the air move and form when? Well, first and foremost is temperature. More specifically, it's the differences in temperature between different areas. The gases that make up our atmosphere do interesting things as the temperature changes. When gas warms up, the atoms and the molecules move faster, they spread out and they rise. That's why steam coming off a pot of boiling water always goes upward. It doesn't ever descend. Hot air rises. When air is cool, when it's cold, when it's cool, the gases get slower and they get closer together and colder air sinks. So the sun warms up the air, but it doesn't do so evenly because the sun hits different parts of the earth at different angles because the earth has oceans and mountains and and other features and some places are warmer than others. And because of this, we get pockets of warm air and pockets of cold air. Different temperatures lead to different pressure systems. And since gases behave differently at different temperatures, that means you also get pockets with high pressure and you get pockets with low pressure. And in areas of high pressure, the gases in the air are more crowded. But in those low pressure zones, the gases are a little more spread out. You might think uh, that the warm air would lead uh, to a higher pressure system, but actually the opposite is true because warm air rises, and when it rises, it leaves behind an area of low pressure behind it. Gases move from high-pressure areas to low-pressure areas. And the bigger the difference between the pressures, the faster the air will move from the high to the low pressure. That rush of air is the wind that we experience. Can I say it this way? The wind is created by the gaps in our atmosphere. We know that the natural illustrates the spiritual. And there has never been a bigger gap, my friend, between the spiritual and the secular as what we are facing right now. In 2023. There's never been a bigger gap between righteousness and unrighteousness. But the wind of God's spirit. Is created. By the church. Taking a stand for righteousness. In an unrighteous world. The doldrums are created. By the church trying to be like the world. Trying to close the gap with our own abilities. Trying to look like the world. Trying to sing like the world. Trying to preach like the world. Trying to live like the world. That creates doldrums. That creates listlessness. This is what's happening to Christianity in America. It's in the doldrums. It's stuck. We get restless when we compromise. We get in the spiritual doldrums when we compromise. But can I tell you today, the greater the gap, the greater the wind. The greater the gap, the greater the wind. <laughs> you go ahead and you keep on loving God. You keep on and you just stay being a person that follows the principles of God's word. You may be in a hostile environment, but the wind's going to blow. I know there's two different pressure systems, but I got a God that's going to blow the wind of his holy presence. When somebody said, hey, I'm going to go ahead and stand for righteousness, even though my husband's not serving God, even though my children aren't serving God, even though I'm in a hostile environment on my job, I'm going to take a stand. When you do, the wind moves. Woo!
Hallelujah, hallelujah. The Hebrew word for Holy Spirit is Ruach. It means air in motion. The same word for breath. And also life and spirit. Ruach. Genesis 1-2, it says in the Spirit of God, the Ruach moved upon the face of the waters. I mean the second verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There was a giant gap between the heavenlies and the earth. But all of a sudden, in the very next verse, the wind starts to move. It blows upon the face of the waters. Why? Because there was a gap. God is always going to be God. And this world may wax worse and worse. Don't let it bother you. Come on, I said, don't let it bother you. The greater the gap, the greater God's presence. The greater the gap, the greater the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. That's why I believe we're going to fill stadiums across America and all over the world with apostolic young people that said, I'm tired of living like the world. I'm tired of being in the doldrums of life. I'm tired of going through the motions. I want to move of the Holy Ghost. Is there anybody in this place that said, I'm ready. I'm ready for the wind to blow. I'm ready for the fire to fall. Oh my, I feel the wind blowing right now. You ought to stand to your feet right now. You ought to lift up your voice and begin to praise Him. Come on, God will send you the wind. He will send an anointing. He will send a confirmation. Oh, Jesus! Jesus! If you're hungry, he'll give you food. If you're thirsty, he'll give you drink. Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. Your heavenly Father said he'll give you rest. Jesus. 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 Come on, there's something in the atmosphere. Come on, there's that wind that's moving. There's an atmospheric shift. That's the Holy Ghost you feel.
Jesus. 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 any longer come on I'm going to move toward God his wind is blowing all over this house he is reaching for you he is reaching for you